If you're here with us, some of you are visiting, uh, some of you have been with us for a while. If you're here with us, we're actually on week number seven of a teaching series called What About Me? And we're basically asking the question, uh, what is my response to the gospel? What is my response to the good news of Jesus Christ? And a lot of Christians, I was thinking this week about how a lot of Christians think that the response to the gospel, the response to the gospel is kind of like, it just stops at, I believe. What about, what's your response to the gospel? Well, I believe it. And we are supposed to believe it. We, we do believe it. We know that Jesus said um, in John, I think it's 8, John 8, unless you believe that I am He, unless you believe that I'm the Messiah, the chosen one, come to save your soul, unless you believe that, you will die in your sins, which is a pretty, Jesus is like, here's the way it is. Well, I do believe in Jesus Christ. And you guys believe in Jesus Christ and we've committed to give our lives to him, our hearts to him. And I know that I'm no longer dead in my sins. But is there anything else? This is what we're asking. Is there anything else that I need to know in order to live a life worthy of the calling that I have received in Jesus Christ? And of course the answer is yes. I think there's a lot of people that don't think that. I believe I'm saved. I got my ticket. What else is there? But there's so much more. And again, like I was saying earlier, it's why we gather. It's why we gather as the saints. Big groups, small groups, one-on-one. It's why we spend time with the Lord. There's so many things that He wants to pour into us. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. So if you can turn there with me. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. For those of us who have been in church for a while. This is a very familiar verse. It's one of those verses that we use to encourage and inspire others to go on with the Lord, to give the Lord everything that we've got. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Does that sound familiar to you guys? How many of you have heard that verse before? very familiar for for a lot of us. Some of you may even have have it memorized. We may know where it's found in Scripture, but most of us really uh, aren't familiar with with what's going on here. We know very little about it. We We may not know that God is speaking to a man who is in the midst of a rebellious moment in his life. This is a wonderful verse. And, we, and it's like, wow, I can quote that all day, but we don't realize it's right smack in the middle of Second Chronicles, God addressing somebody that's in rebellion. And I want to look at it Again, show you what I'm talking about. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And then look what it says right after that. That's a great verse, right? It's like, yes, that's what I needed to hear. Well, hear the very next thing real quick. Then he says, you have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. So the, what I want to do real quick is just answer a couple questions. Who acted foolishly? And how did he act foolishly? What went wrong? What happened? And the reason that we're asking this question is because we act foolishly from time to time and have rebellious moments. We don't want to. It's not our desire to act foolish. Because we want to live lives worthy of the calling. I want you to write this down. Living a life worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ Jesus, it literally, it, through Scripture, it insists that our foolishness turn into wisdom. 
and it insists that our rebellion turn into surrender. You want to live a life worthy of the calling. Two things, at least two things. Foolishness needs to turn into wisdom. Rebellion needs to turn into surrender. And like I said, we're fortunate to have a book that is full of content of God showing us accounts after accounts after God showing His people how to live for Him. And so what we're going to do uh, really quick is we're going to look at the account of King Asa. Now, I've shared a little bit about King Asa before in the past in several different areas and ways. And I'm going to do it again this morning because King Asa has got a very interesting life. And the way we're going to do this is I'm actually going to read through the account of his life. It's going to span three chapters. Can we do that? Now, you're going to have to commit to stay with me. I'm going to try to be as dramatic as I can. I'm going to read with umph. I'm going to enunciate everything I can to keep you focused. But what I want you to do as we're, as we're reading through this, I want you to read through with me. And, and I know we have different versions probably. I'm teaching out of the NAS. Some of you have NA, uh, NIV or King James or New King James or whatever. And so hopefully you can track with me. But what I want you to do, I have, I have some words that I want to help you um, see in, in ways that you can study this later or recall what we talked about today or even share this passage with someone else and just some words. And it's weird because everything I'm going to talk about today starts with an R. Uh, I don't really do that a whole lot. Today I'm just like a preacher, I guess. I don't know. Okay, so as I tell you, in places I tell you, just write it in if you're okay with writing things in your Bible. Okay, you ready? We're going to start in chapter 14. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And his son, Asa, became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years. Go ahead and circle ten years real quick if you don't mind doing that. That's a good thing to know. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his day. His days. I want to pause right there and just say that Abijah was the previous king of Judah. He dies. Asa takes over king. Something that you might want to know about Abijah is that when he took over, he continued in the sinful, uh, uh, adulterous, idolatrous uh, behavior that his fathers continued in. And listen, not only that, but uh, Abijah's mom, her name was Maaka or however you pronounce it, she made these detestable uh, idols, um, what you might call sex idols, to the goddess uh, Asherah, who was a fertility goddess, and all this stuff, really nasty things. So Abijah and his mom, Maaka, were continuing in those sinful things. And then look what it says for Asa. He became king. The land was undisturbed for 10 years. And then it says, Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. The introduction that Abijah gets over in 1 Kings 15, you can write that down if you want to as a reference, because it tells Asa's story there too. The, the, uh, um, the introduction it gives to Abijah is that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So we're coming out of a season of a lot of idolatry, a lot of foreign gods, a lot of uh, bad, okay? And here comes Asa, and it says, his introduction says, he did good and right in the sight of the Lord. For he removed the foreign altars in the high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, or the Asherah poles, some of your versions say. And then look at verse 4. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. I want you to write there, just draw a line or whatever to verse 4, and I want you to put restores. 
want you to write the word restores there because that's exactly what Asa came as his heart was to do. And that's what his actions showed that his heart was to do. He came and he restored the worship back to Jehovah, back to the living God, away from these idols. Okay, so write that in. He restores and you can write, you can continue writing. He restores worship back to God if you want. But the word restores will probably uh, remind you. Verse five, he also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. And the kingdom was undisturbed under him. Verse 6, he built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed. And there was no one at war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest. Specifically, 10 years of rest. We just circled that. For 10 years, Asa and the, uh, the tribe of Judah, the nation of Judah, they were at rest. And then it says, for he said to Judah, Asa said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. And you might want to put some parentheses or underline that whole thing right there because this is really important as we get to the tail end of this. He says, let us build up these cities and fortify them. And then he says, the land is still ours. Why? Because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought, this is Asa saying this. We have sought the Lord and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah bearing large shields and spears and 280,000 from Benjamin bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. Now Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them, against Judah, against King Asa and his army with an army of a million men, 300 chariots, and he came to Mereshah. And so Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in a battle formation in the valley of Zephathah at Mereshah. Then Asa called to the Lord. Remember these things. This is a good one. Verse 11 is good. Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in this battle between the powerless and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord. In other words, our army is nothing compared to this massive, some of your versions say, uh, vast army. So help us, O Lord God, for we trust you. And in your name, we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before the Lord and before his armies. And they carried away very much plunder. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar. And for the, uh, for the dread of the Lord had fallen upon them. And they despoiled all the cities. And there was much plunder in them. They also struck down those who owned livestock. And they carried away large numbers of sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So you can see the zeal that Asa had and the fervor that he had for the Lord, and the faith, obviously, because they had peace for 10 years. I believe it was at the end of that 10 years of peace that an army came from Ethiopia to take them out. A vast army, a million people, 300 chariots. This is a massive army, and it was way more than Asa and his crew could do. But he says, Lord, we're going out, and we're going out in the name of the Lord our God, just like David did when he faced Goliath. He said, and, and we know that you can help us. So you see, I mean, Asa is ripping and roaring the way all of us should, right? You see it? Let's keep going. Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said to them, remember they, went, they returned to Jerusalem, so 
Um, he's coming to Asa. And he said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And real quick, I want you to draw a line up here. And there's some more to this, but I want you to just draw a line real quick and write the word receives. Because right here, the prophet uh, Azariah is giving him a prophetic word. Not only a prophetic word, but he's encouraging him and warning him at the same time. You'll see uh, an encouragement, an affirmation, but also a warning in there. He says, um, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For many days, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, God of Israel, and they sought him and he was and he let them find him. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. In other words, when they weren't seeking him, this is what was going on. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them in every kind of distress. But you, and this is the tail end of this encouragement, affirmation, but you be strong and do not lose courage. For there is reward for your work. In other words, he's, he's being affirmed right here for what you just did. God is obviously with you. And you were doing great things. And the zeal for the Lord is obviously, you commanded the whole nation of Judah to turn back to the Lord. That's pretty remarkable. Let me affirm you that that's a good thing. But he also warns him, the Lord is with you when you're with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So there's warning there. And then right there in verse 7 is a strong encouragement. But you be strong and do not lose courage for there's reward for your work. You guys with me? You still got more to read. This is good. Now, over this next session, start section in verse 8, um, Mine already says Asa's reform. That's a great word. So R word. That's exactly what made me come up with all these R words. If yours doesn't say reform, I want you to write it right there. Reforms. Asa reforms. Now, when Asa heard these words that the prophet Azariah, the son of Obed, the prophet spoke, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the cities which he had captured in the hills, uh, the hill country of Ephraim. He restored the altar of the Lord, which was in front of the porch of the Lord. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon, who resided with him, for many defected to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. So they assembled at Jerusalem in the, in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. They sacrificed to the Lord that day 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep, from the spoil they had brought. Verse 12, they entered into the covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. This is just going so good, you guys. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. I mean, Asa is legit. He's for real. Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, and with horns. All Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, and he let them find him. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. You guys with me? Verse 16. He also, now get this, this is huge. I've always just loved Asa for this. He also removed... Ma'akah, the mother of King Asa. When it says he's the mother, he was actually Abijah's mother, but you know how they do that in the lineage thing. 
He removed his grandma from the position of queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, burned it, and at the brook of Kidron, he fired his grandma. Nobody fires the grandma. Asa fired his grandma. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was blameless all his days. He brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold. Now, let me say that again. He brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. And there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Okay, Asa reigned for 41 years. So there was no war for, since then for, um, until the 35th year. That's a lot of years of peace. You guys tracking with me there? It's a lot of years. And then I want you to look at 16 because we start scratching our head. In the, 60, uh, in the 36th year of Asa's reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah, which is who Asa was king of and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Hey, let's let there be a treaty between you and me, as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that we will withdraw, he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ejon, Dan, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Baasha heard of it, he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timbers, which Baasha had been building, and with them, he fortified Geba and Mizpah. Now, real quick, on, over verse 2, I want you to write, rebels. Right here, Asa rebels. Just draw a line up somewhere so that you can remember to come back later and write the word rebels. So we see him restore. We see him receive. We see him restore the nation of Judah back to the Lord. We see him receive a prophetic word of encouragement, warning, affirmation. And then right here in chapter 16, he's kicking tail, taking names, honoring God. But then here in 16, he rebels. Let me show you how. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Right here, Beside, uh, in verse 7, anywhere right there, I want you to write the word rebuked. Because right here, Asa gets rebuked. Again, this is just for you to reference later. um, Something that will quicken the things that you've heard today. And something that can help you maybe communicate as you disciple and mentor others in the Word of God. Right here, he is being rebuked by the prophet Hanani. He said, we're not the Ethiopian... Now listen, he's, he's recalling some of Asa's history. He says, we're not... Where was it? We're not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, He delivered them into your hands. 
For the eyes of the Lord move to and throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. But you have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. You see where this is in the middle of now? It's like, oh gosh, this isn't as cool as I thought it was. No, it's a cool thought that the Lord goes to and through. He looks all across the land. He's looking for people that he can strongly support, those whose hearts are completely his. That's a very good thing. Let's keep reading. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. How dare you speak to me? I'm the king that brought Judah peace and rest for 30-something years. How dare you talk to me about my dealings? I mean, that's what I think he might have been thinking. For he was enraged at him for this. And Asa also oppressed some of the people at the same time. Okay, Asa, what's going on, bro? Hey, man, do we, we need to sit down and have a cup of coffee. You know, what's going on, bro? What's going on? What I want you to do right there at verse, um, verse 10 is I want you to write rejects. Because Asa rejects the word of the Lord through the prophet Hanani. He rejects. Verse 11. Now the acts of Asa from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah. Specifically, if you want to, you can write 1 Kings uh, 15. You can look at the, some more stuff. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. So Asa slept with his fathers, having died in the 41st year of his reign. Right there on verse 13, I want you to write, retires. I told you they all start with R. I was really creative this week. So right there, he retires, literally. He's, uh, he's gone, he's out. 14, they buried him in his own tomb with uh, which he had cut out for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in his resting place, which he had filled with spices and various kinds of blended by the perfu- uh, perfumer's arts. And they made a very great fire for him. Now that's the account of Asa. We literally just read three chapters of Scripture. You guys still with me? Okay, well, let's go back to um, chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And as I was reading this week and just spending time with the Lord, the question came, how can we gain the strong support of the Lord? And listen, not just the strong support of the Lord. Asa at one time had the strong support of the Lord, right? We saw what he did at the beginning. But at the end, he's got the gout. You know what I mean? Sums up with his feet. And he gets rebuked by Hanani. So I'm not talking about just a strong support. I'm talking about a continual strong support. That's the question. How do we gain a continual strong support of the Lord? And of course, the answer is right there in the scripture. It says that we give our hearts completely to him. We give our hearts completely to him. Now listen, what this is, this is really referring to surrender. If you want to somewhere in your notes or in the scripture, you can just write surrender right there. This is talking about surrender. And again, back to what we started with today. We're not talking about that one-time surrender when you walk the aisle and you pray to prayer. I surrendered. There we go. Okay, I'm good. 
No, we're talking about a continual surrender. Those who are continually surrendering to the Lord. Those who are continually and completely giving their hearts to the Lord. I was thinking about James 4, 6, which most of us are familiar with, that God um, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, he's talking to believers right there. God opposes the proud believer, but he gives grace to the humble believer. Do you ever think of it that way? Sometimes we try to contrast that. Well, that's people that don't know God versus those. No, listen, God will oppose a proud believer and he will give grace to a humble believer. And listen, not just a little bit of grace, he will give his strong support because his grace, his strong support will be given to those who humbly surrender their hearts to him. Those who will surrender their mind, their will. You know, in scripture, the heart means your mind, your will, your thoughts, your intentions, your emotions, your appetite. Those who continually surrender, those things will also, by him, in, in the exchanges that he will give you continual, strong support. Who in the right mind does not want that? We've convinced ourselves that we've got his support because I prayed a prayer one day and I said, I believe. And we do. Positionally, we are, we are close to God and there's all kinds of good things going. But God wants more for that than us. That's why we have a relationship with him. That's why he speaks to us. That's why we do all the things that we do and, and have this word. Because he wants this continual strong support, not just rescue from the fiery pit. While we're on this earth, I want to support you. I want vast armies to come under your submission. I want you to go up against the giants and win every time. That's his desire for us. Now listen, it says those who uh, continually or those who give their hearts completely. And I just want to tell you that word complete, it literally means wholly devoted. Those who are wholly devoted, completely devoted, nothing left out of the devotion. Well, I gave you 90%, kind of like we were talking about earlier. No complacency, no half-heartedness. Those who are wholly devoted to the Lord. And interestingly enough, this word is also used most of the time in the Hebrew language to talk about keeping covenant relationship. Those who, whose heart is completely connected and continually connected to the covenant relationship that God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. There's this personal thing that's going on, this continual thing that's going on. And remember earlier I said living a life worthy of the calling insists that our foolishness turn to wisdom and that our rebellion turn to surrender. There's three things. I want you to write these down. We're almost done. There's three things that will help turn our foolishness to wisdom and our rebellion into surrender. And when this happens, we find ourselves walking in the continual strong blessing of the Lord. Strong support. The first one is this. And this is going to sound so simple. Y'all have heard a thousand messages. This isn't even difficult. Remember the Lord. Remembering the Lord. This morning we took communion. It's one of the ways that we remember the Lord. You guys know in in, uh, Luke 22 is one of the accounts. When Jesus is taking that last supper meal with his disciples, it says, when he'd taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. And we know that that it's a very intimate moment. We know that the, the cup that they would drink out was often called the cup of the covenant. This is, this is, he's saying, listen, remember me. And even the word, it's the word anamnesis, anon, anamnesis, where we get the word amnesia from. In the Greek, that's the word for remembrance there, and it means recollecting. And so it kind of gives this connotation of a personal remembering, like, remember me. We're up here, and we're taking this communion. Remember me. Remember that I have been with you, and you with me. This is kind of a, a soft, tender moment. Remember me. And then you look at another word for remembering over in Revelations 2.5 when he actually addresses some pride. You remember he's talking to the churches? He says, Therefore, remember the height from which you've fallen. Some of your versions say, Remember from where you have fallen. It's a different word. It's the word we get memory from. I can't even pronounce it. But it means to be mindful. It means to keep in mind. In other words, God is saying, hey, You know what? Keep in mind the height from which you've fallen. Here's where you're at, but keep in mind where you've been. I have had you, like King Asa, I have had you in a state of continual support. I've had you there. Keep that in mind, bro. It's dealing with pride. He's addressing pride there. And he says, Therefore, remember from where you've fallen, the height from which you've fallen, and repent, and do the things that you did at first. This sounds like some advice Asa could have used, right? towards the end of his life. Do the things that you did at first. That's the first thing is remembering the Lord. Remembering who he's been for you. Yes, there was a day that you believed. Do we even remember that? Do we remember the change, the things that took place? Do we remember that? Do we remember that Jesus is a personal Savior? Do we remember that he loves us? There's a lot that we need to remember. We need to remember that we are nothing compared to his greatness. Why would we rise up with pride with that kind of view of God? Well, let us remember that that's who God is, lest you fall into pride like Satan did. That's the first thing, remembering the Lord. The second thing is resisting the enemy. I'm convinced that the switch that happened at verse 16, because Asa is kicking it right up until verse six, uh, chapter 16. And I'm convinced that somehow, maybe through that long season of peace, maybe through the prideful thinking of Asa, I've got it all together, yo. I've got a peaceful nation. Somehow, the enemy was able to come in with pride. And I'm convinced that it was the enemy that somehow had turned his mind and his heart to where all of a sudden he is rebelling against the, the Lord, not even thinking about the Lord having uh, completely fought for him earlier. Now he's going to go rent out another army to help follow, uh, fight and, and assist him. It's just uncharacteristic. How did that happen? The enemy came in with his schemes, trickery, and convinced them convinced him that he needed some other army, some other nation to stand with him. And that's what he does. Resist the enemy. We're all familiar with James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, I don't know how much Asa was thinking about the devil. I don't know how much theology he had or what he knew about the hot pursuit that the enemy is on for those who follow after God. But we do. We know it. We have it written right here. And one of the things that will change the tide quicker than anything is for the enemy to make his way, for us not to be in a place of not submitting to the Lord, not walking humbly, and all of a sudden the enemy comes in and things that we never thought we would do, say, or be a part of are all of a sudden prevalent in our life. 
It can happen like that. It happened like that just here. Resist the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8 says to be sober spirit. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, talking about the enemy of God, the devil. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, sneaky, stealth-like, looking for, seeking someone to devour. And he says, but resist him. Firm in your faith. Resist him. And the idea of that word resist is to literally put you, I think I've said this before, to, to square up, put your feet down and say, no way. It's not a, no, I don't want to do those things. It's like, you want a piece of me? Kind of like Asa was doing at the beginning. Resisted it, but he somehow he had stopped doing that along the way. And the last thing is, repent of sin. Repent of sin. The prophet Hanani came to him and said, this is what you've done. And he, uh, the other prophet, Azariah, had warned him, the Lord is with you when you're with him. If you seek him, you will, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He says, be, uh, you be strong and do not lose courage, for there's a reward for your work. And he talks about, he warned him. Now listen, I'm not talking about forsaking in the sense of, oh, you did a bad thing, you're going to hell now. We've got to go back to the back of the line and get saved again. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about you might end up with a gout. I don't know for sure, you know. But God was obviously opposing him. Why? Simply because he didn't say to Hanani, holy cow, I didn't even realize that's what I was doing. How could I have done that? Like David's response. Remember when Nathan came? Thou art the man. You're the one killing everybody and sleeping with their wives. David's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Immediately got on his face and began repenting. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. This is not the attitude of Asa this day. And unfortunately, it's not the attitude of us many times. When we have not remembered the Lord, we've let the enemy trick us. And here we are um, with a lack of of a repentant heart. He didn't repent of his sins. In fact, he rejects the word and begins oppressing other people. I could go off for about 30 minutes on that. When we are not where we need to be with the Lord, we'll start oppressing people around us. Our wives, our kids, our employees, our employers, our friends, our family, our dog. That's usually who I go for first. You see me kick my dog and probably have unrepentant sin in my life. Listen, I know I'm kind of being funny, but this is really serious. To repent, you know, in that Revelations we were talking about where it says to remember the height from which you're fallen. He follows that up immediately. Remember the height from which you have fallen and repent and do the things that you did at first. And bottom line, I think what the Lord is, um, what is saying to us this morning is to, is to address really the pattern that happens in our life that's very similar to the one that pa- uh, Asa found himself in. We get saved and we have such a zeal for the Lord. And we're moving forward. We're doing great things for God and we're praying and we're doing all these things. But, but we tend to walk with the Lord, do great things, and then usually become prideful and arrogant about the things that we learn or the things that we've accomplished, the things that we've done, or the reputation that we now have as a man of God or whatever. And things start slipping back into this state of complete uh, uselessness. And I think the Lord's saying, you know what? You, you can do that if you want to. 
You'll still make it into heaven. I'm not going to forsake you that way. You can do that if you want to. You gave your life to me. And I know there's, there's that seed of faith in you that is there and is ready to grow. But man, what I would much rather do is give you continual strong support in everything that you do. I would like to walk with you like the picture of the sand on the beach. I'd like to carry you during those times of trouble. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but that's what God wants for you. To give you continual, strong support. And the way that happens is for you to continually surrender. Continual support, according to Scripture, is from continually giving your heart completely to Him. Amen? Let's stand.